Let me begin by asking what might be called a very non-traditional Advent question at the beginning of this series. And the question is this, how's it all going to end? Not Advent. We know that Advent ends at the manger in a glorious joy and awe and wonder. How is the world, the United States, how is it all going to end? In the Cold War, we all thought it was going to end by nuclear holocaust at the hands of the evil Russians, Mikhail Gorbachev. Beginning 15 years ago, it became in vogue to picture civilization collapsing under the weight of a sudden zombie apocalypse. What a way to go. I remember several years ago, about a dozen years ago, a youth pastor friend, Joey Wang in California, and he wrote to me, he's like, a youth group person just asked me, can I still be a Christian and believe in the zombie apocalypse? Didn't really know what to say, youth group type of questions. More recently, the last 20 months, we've experienced pundits telling us that the sky is falling. Civilization and society will never be what it once was. Some have called the last 20 months the great reset. People are tired, people are unhappy. So what has been the most typical response Let me try a new job, a new spouse, a new city, new friends, new home. Whatever the last 20 months have been, I am not happy. So let me do this. Let me look for external reasons. Let me look for external changes out there to find happiness in here. What I do know is this. I am not happy now. So the solution must be external changes to my life. How is it all going to end? There have been numerous candidates, even within my own lifetime, nuclear holocaust, climate change apocalypse, uh, doomsday, judgment day, racial unrest, coronavirus, Armageddon. Just pick your favorite doomsday scenario. But this morning, let me offer you another distinct possibility. Perhaps it all just ends in a blur. Maybe we simply succumb to the busyness, to the speed, to the velocity, to the haste and hurry at which our culture is moving, and we simply lose ourselves. We lose our families. We lose our marriages. We lose our very souls. And it all ends in a blur. So during this Advent season, we are embarking on a new sermon series entitled Margin, Uncluttering Our Lives. And the premise is simple, and it's this. What the change you most need is not external. What the spiritual practice you most need in life is margin, practicing the Sabbath, and worship. Let me define margin in this way. Margin is the healthy difference between what you need and what you have. Healthy lives are products of healthy margins. If I'm your financial advisor and I see every month you have $1,000 allocated to discretionary income, 
But then every month you're spending over $1,500, I'd probably tell you, you do not have financial health. You have no margin. Healthy lives are the product of healthy margins. If I was your counselor and you said to me, every time it seems my spouse or my kid brings a problem home to me, I end up yelling at them and totally losing it and losing my temper. I might tell you, seems to me you don't have any emotional margin in your life to deal with stress. Healthy lives are the product of healthy margins. If I was your spiritual advisor and your pastor, which I hope I am, and you said, Pastor, I've always wanted to read the word and, and sit at Jesus' feet, but I never find the time. I might tell you, you do not have, it seems to me, any spiritual margin to put God first and to keep busyness at bay. Healthy lives are the product of healthy margins. This morning, I want to take us to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Please turn in your Bibles to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And when you get there, I know exactly what you'll be thinking. Oh, I've heard this passage preached before. But friends, I really believe there's something here for us if we listen to this passage, this very familiar passage with new ears and a fresh heart. So Luke chapter 10, the story of Martha and Mary, Luke writes this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. For Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask us four different questions this morning about this text of Scripture. And the first question is this. How should I not read this story? How should I not read and interpret this familiar story between Martha and Mary and Jesus? And the, first, and the answer is you shouldn't read it primarily through the lens of personality, as in Martha represents the active life. Mary represents the contemplative life. Mary sets up great monasteries of prayer. Martha opens a homeless shelter for abused women. Or in the church, you know, Mary serves on the prayer team. Martha serves on the hospitality team and sets things up and gets things done. It's all a matter of personality, don't you know? But that, let me tell you, is not really the point of the story. Why? Because every Martha personality is still called to have a prayer life 
and sit at the feet of Jesus. And every married personality is called to get out of her comfort zone and serve others. And so the, challenge, the story really challenges us all to serve like Martha, but with a heart like Mary. And so you might be a natural contemplative. Oh, Jesus is awarding my personality bent exactly how I'm wired, not so fast. You might be a natural contemplative. The challenge for you is to serve and express your faith in practical ways. Or you might naturally lead, on the other hand, an active life. And so the challenge for you is to develop a prayer life and learn to linger and sit at the feet of Jesus. And so this passage primarily is not really highlighting one personality type over the other. Second question is this. What are the fruits of a lack of margin in your life? When you have a lack of margin in your life, what does that do for a life? Of course, the poster boy, or in this case, the poster girl, for a lack of margin in life is Martha. And there are a few big important words used in this passage to describe Martha. And maybe the most important word in the story is the word distracted. Distracted. It's the only time that this word is used in the entire New Testament. One of the fruits and effects of failing to have margin in life is leading a distracted life. And the term in the Greek, it really helps us get at the passage. The term in the Greek really means to be dragged away. To be drawn away is what it really means to be distracted. And the implication is this. Martha wanted to do what Mary was doing. Martha wanted to sit at Jesus' feet. She wanted to hear the words and the teachings of Jesus. But what happened? She became distracted. She got dragged away. She got drawn away from what she really knew was the most important thing in life. So many scholars have noted that the story occurs as Jesus is making a long march on his way to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke, making his last march to Jerusalem to face crucifixion and to die. In other words, Martha, dinner could have waited. These will be some of the last words that Jesus will speak to Mary and to Martha. And it was her own self-appointed duties that drew her away from Christ. And so the very surprising thing, the way that you and I are an awful lot like Martha is this. Martha is doing it to herself. It was her own self-appointed duties that she couldn't let go of. It was her own self-appointed duties that distracted her and dragged her away from Jesus, dragged her away from what was most important in life. The lack of margin in life leads you to being distracted and dragged away from what you know is most important in life. And it's often just like Mary, Martha, isn't it? It's not anybody else telling you how you should spend your time. It's you. 
It's your own self-appointed duties. It's your own habits and rhythms that is taking you away from Christ and what is most important. When margin gets squeezed, priorities get skewed. If you want to write anything down today in the margins, in the note page, write this. When margin gets squeezed, priorities get skewed. When you have no margin in life, you get dragged away from what is best in life. And it's often our own self-appointed duties that do it. You do it to yourself. But then, being distracted leads to another problem for Martha. It's like as if being distracted, having no margin, leads to further complications and further problems over and over again. So first she's distracted, and then this leads to another problem. Martha starts by serving others. This is good. But quickly pivots by engaging in me talk and self-pity. Listen to what Martha says three times. Me, me, my. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. How quickly Martha goes from wanting to serve others to feeling sorry for herself. How quickly Martha transitions from being others-centered to focusing on her own problems. This is what a lack of margin does for your life and mine. You see, there's a common sequence that can be seen through the window, through the lens of Martha's life. Distraction leads to self-pity. Self-pity leads to fault-finding. And fault-finding leads to resentment of others. Her own self-appointed duties ends by her being relationally difficult. A lack of margin increases stress and decreases intimacy. Let me say that again. Don't you feel this in your own life? When you are sped up, when you have no margin, what happens? A lack of margin increases your stress, increases your stress, and decreases relational intimacy with others. And so what happens to Martha? Before long, Martha is not serving Jesus relationally, far from it. But in her stress, you begin to hear a hint of resentment. What does she say? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And so she begins by serving others. She ends in a relationally difficult place, telling the Son of God how to do his business and how to go about his life. So what are the fruits of a life that lacks margin? A distracted life, not being fully present with others, self-pity, too many things to do, too few hours to do it, and this life I'm leading is just not fair to me, parenthesis, even though you've chosen to live that way, it's your own self-appointed duties doing it to you. That's the Carter parenthetical reading of Luke chapter 10. And eventually, fault-finding in others and resentment towards the people around you. Relational intimacy decreases, stress increases. These are the fruits of a life that lacks margin. 
And so what does Jesus say? He tells Mary, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Maybe it all just ends in a blur. Too sped up for relationship? Our souls too cluttered? Our lives too distracted by many, many things? It's often been said that if Satan can't make you really, really bad, he will be just fine making you really, really busy. In other words, both methods completely work for destroying our souls. And so with no margin in our lives, our priorities get skewed, and suddenly we find ourselves being dragged away, being taken away from the one thing we knew we needed to be doing all along, that is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word to us. Yet even us as Christians, this is often the last thing we think we need, we need when we think about decluttering our lives. Yet it's the one thing that helps us put everything else in its proper place, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. Third question. We've gone on the negative side, let's go on the positive side. What does margin mean for Mary's life? What, is, what would margin mean for your life if you actually had it? First, Mary is described in glowing terms by the gospel writer Luke. Look at what he says in the passage, Luke 10. Mary, comma, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Luke, the gospel writer, pays Mary an amazing, eternally significant compliment. Mary, comma, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his Teaching. In other words, Mary is the kind of woman who is the model woman, who is the model Christ follower, who is the model disciple. No matter your gender, you have Mary as the model disciple. Could the gospel writer Luke say this of you? Your name, comma, the one who sat at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. Friends, there is a big, big, enormous, gigantic difference in our world in what I call resume virtues and eulogy virtues, right? What does our culture prioritize? Our culture is enamored with developing resume virtues, self-starter, hard worker, productive, efficient, Effective. Tell me what you made. Tell me where you went to school. Tell me how productive you are in your job. These are things of cocktail parties, right, that Hollywood loves to put on. Where did you go to school? Oh, I went to Princeton. I went to Yale. I went to Harvard. Oh, oh, you must be getting a lot of pats on the back. And so when you build resume virtues, those two to seven pages of your resume, what can you expect our culture to do for you? You can expect how many attaboys or girls you're gonna get in life. These are things our culture loves to say, now we know how valuable you are. But eulogy virtues are different. Eulogy virtues are this, what will they say about you at your funeral? 
Well, he was into Facebook. He was always on screens all the time. He was a real distracted person, never had time for people. This person bought and sold a lot of toys. Wouldn't that not be so discouraging if you could, like, hear, you know, like, what people were saying? At the death, what really matters is not, did you have a good life? At death, what really matters is, did you follow a good person? And was his name Jesus? Did you sit at his feet? Did you listen to his teachings? Did you have enough margin in your life to prioritize relationships, the simple worship of God, and sitting at Jesus' feet? Those are eulogy virtues. And I would even argue that much of the Christian life really is about developing eulogy virtues. What will they say about you at your funeral? Will they say she was a Christian who loved Jesus and loved others and served like Martha but with Mary's heart? Second, Jesus commends Mary indirectly by saying to Martha, 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 which shows that Jesus loved Martha. Martha, Martha, trying to bring her back to what's truly important. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. In other words, life can be so complicated, can get so complicated very quickly and begin to drag you away, to take you away from what really, truly matters in life. Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This expression, and I know you've heard this story before, but you might not have understood that good portion is actually the perfect word contextually for this story. The word uh, two in the English is one in the Greek, and the Greek word is merida, which often in the New Testament refers to a meal. So the contrast is this. Martha You are busy trying to fix me a meal. You're busy trying to minister to me. And what you really need from me, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God incarnate grace in your life, what you really need from me is for me to minister to you. What you really need is not for you to minister to Jesus but first and foremost for you to allow Jesus to minister to you. Mary is receiving a meal from me, Martha. Jesus said earlier in his ministry, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know, Christian, you need Jesus more than Jesus needs you? If you don't have enough margin for Jesus, if you don't have enough margin in your life for the God who created you and redeemed you and loves you, then something has gone wrong with our lives. Jesus longs to feed you a meal. It's not without significance that heaven is described as a a heavenly banquet. Jesus here in the story says, Martha, Mary is choosing the meal now. Mary had margin in her life for Jesus. Mary wasn't distracted. 
Mary wasn't pulled in a thousand different directions. Mary was able to choose the good thing, the best thing. She was able to choose Jesus. And here's really the key. Mary was able to choose Jesus, even amidst all the busyness all around her. Busyness was all around her. Busyness was in that house that day. Busyness was in her sister that day. But that busyness did not control her life, nor her priorities, nor her decisions, nor what she was really about. Mary, the one who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So for Martha, the tag is this. When Margie gets squeezed, priorities get skewed. For Mary, the axiom is this. When Margie is practiced, you live into your priorities. Eulogy virtues begin to be cultivated in your life. That was the third question. The fourth one is a simple one, and perhaps the most significant one. The fourth question is this, so what? So what? Luke chapter 10, margin, uncluttering our lives, what does it all mean? I've been a pastor long enough now, 20 years ordained next fall, that I often think, I know how this goes. Many of you will resonate with slowing down. Many of you will resonate sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his word. Ah, this has the power to reshape my entire life. Many of you might say, yes, that's who I want to be. This feels life-giving and refreshing to my soul. I want to develop eulogy virtues. May they say of me, he was one, she was one who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. Yet, had enough experience to know the truth of the matter. Many of us are not going to change. Many of us are so accustomed to the world's rhythms and the world's pattern that to jump off this busyness treadmill will literally feel like existential suicide. Did you know that medical research has shown that 90% of patients, when a medical doctor will tell them point blank, you need to change this X, Y, Z in your life or you will die, that 90% refuse to change. 90% would rather die than change their lives. With no margin, your stress level increases. With no margin, your relational levels with others decreases. With no margin, your emotional capacity to deal with the everyday struggles and stressors in life becomes razor, razor thin for you. Many people lack margin in many different ways. They lack, and they feel the lack of margin physically, exhaustion, headaches, muscle soreness. Many people feel this lack of margin emotionally, always being irritated with others, low capacity to empathize with others. Many people feel the lack of margin relationally, troubled marriages, inability to stop and listen, inability to connect meaningfully with others and be present with them. Busyness is literally killing us, body, soul, mind, and spirit. 
And here's what I know, that you are a very smart congregation. And so you know, if small changes could have helped, I know you would have tried those long ago. And so what I'm saying is this, nothing less than a wholesale reorientation of life is required to be the person you want to be, to be the person that God created you to be. All of us need margin. Most of us do not have it. And most of us need margin in several different areas of life. What are those areas? Margin for God. Margin for God could be having enough time to really drink deeply from the word of God, to linger in the reading of God's word, maybe to pick up a prayer book and slowly pray your way through it. Margin for family. Margin for family could be actually, surprise, surprise, having four or five days a week with nothing on the schedule. Would that be amazing for some of you? I know it would. Margin for finances. Margin financially could be having enough money left at the end of the month to truly be able to invest in people and need ministries that you truly care about. Wouldn't that be joyful to give Margin for church, what would this look like? Margin for church could be having enough time to live for others, to serve others, to get out of your comfort zone. Whether that's developing a prayer life or maybe that's serving others and serving the church. To prioritize the worship of God, to prioritize the hearing of God's word, to become like Acts chapter two, the early church, they devoted themselves they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The early church had margin for relationship, margin for the worship of God, margin for hearing God's word. So let me give you some homework today. There's another text on the screen, Luke chapter two. It's a characters, small characters, which we'll be hearing about more in a couple weeks at the Christmas concert. Simeon and Anna. These are two characters I want you to think about. Both were in the temple. Both with time to spare. Both were waiting for God to meet them and reveal to them the Messiah. Of Simeon, it was said he was righteous and devout, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, amazing compliment to Simeon, just like Luke paid to Mary. Once Simeon saw Jesus, he felt his life was complete. He says, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. Everything that I wanted, I found in Jesus. You can dismiss your servant in peace. Of Anna, the, the prophetess, it was said, she did not depart from the temple Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Simeon and Anna, what's the point? These two made margin for God. And here's the point, it's very simply. And they got to see Christ in beautiful, beautiful ways. You think one is related to the other? 